Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 66. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing our must-see movies and guilty pleasures from the past. Each week that we make this, because <laughs> it's not a weekly show, yeah. one of us has the turn of getting to choose the uh, media property. That's right. On deck. On deck. In the deck. It's not a VHS deck. We're not. We're not. Generally speaking. <laughs> um, it was not Dave's turn. No, it was not your turn. It was my turn. And I'm speaking in the third point person, third so we point. can make a point of talking about viewpoint tonight. That's right. <laughs> it was Ashley's turn. What did you choose for us for my viewing pleasure? So I chose, uh, this is again a movie that Dave had seen before, so it kind of is outside of our normal... Um, our original way of doing things, but um, you'd only seen it once where I've seen it a whole bunch, and I chose Election uh, by Alexander Payne. So I think this is our first repeat director. Um, we did uh, Citizen Ruth, which uh, was one of Alexander Payne's first big films. Um, I keep forgetting yeah. <laughs> that that's an Alexander Payne movie. I actually had a point that I wanted to make that involved Citizen Ruth, and now... It's funny that it's the same director, and yeah. it makes sense that it's the same director. So I'm a big Alexander Payne fan. I just... And and this one actually combines two, uh, two people that I like, which are... Uh, the original novel was written by Tom Perota, who is a novelist that I have read many of his novels. Not all, but many of his novels. Still have never finished The Leftovers, so... <laughs> I've read two of them. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read Just Election. Two? Yeah. I've read uh, Little Children mm. and um, The Abstinence Teacher. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I've read that one, too. Those are the only two I've read. Yeah. Uh, I, re- I read Election. I've read um, Little Children, which is probably his what like best renowned book. I, I don't know. To me, he's sort of in the vein of Nick Hornby um, mixed with... I, I, I know it's it's weird... It's this is a sort of dark humor a thing. A mean spirited Nick Hornby. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Well, I don't. I don't see him as mean spirited, but yeah. <laughs> Let's throw it down. <laughs> so anyway, um, I chose this movie because I just really wanted to see it again, and I like it a lot. And I thought it might be interesting to go back and see it after not having seen it for probably fifteen years or something like that. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And you said you'd only seen it once, so I thought it would be a good thing to share and talk about. It would have been a one-timer had I not had I only seen... No, it was a one-timer. Yeah. I mean, not a one-timer in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm using that because I don't think it left a positive impression on me the first time I saw it. There was something about it that rubbed me the wrong way that yeah. I didn't get. Yeah. And so I saw it. I don't, I wouldn't say I didn't like it, but I didn't feel like seeing it yeah. again all of these years. No, I mean, I've want, I was curious to see it again now. Yeah. Um, I remember there was something about it that bugged me. Yeah. Or that I didn't, that felt wrong. <laughs> and so now, I guess as we talk about it, I have to try and figure out who I was. Because I would have seen it. I saw it in the movie theater when I lived in New York. So that would be in 99, 90, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, but I've never gone back. I've never had the opportunity to see it again. I've never screened it again. But like I knew, like you've mentioned a number of times in that it's you like it so much and yeah. we have we have the dvd you've got the book on the shelf which i'm actually more interested in reading it's now. A, it's i've always liked the read, author yeah. tom parada um so i was curious and i was down for it and i was ready and i'm glad that we watched it yeah <laughs> so i probably i don't i don't think i would maybe i saw it in the movie theater i have no i i remember watching i had the videotape and then i got the dvd because I was actually still on videotapes later. I had to ask for a DVD player the first Christmas that I moved out for college. So that would have been like Christmas 2001. So I didn't even have a DVD player until... So this is one I owned on VHS and then bought on... Later bought on probably at like a Hollywood video sale You mean you didn't once on the VHS followed by the Laserdisc version? Followed by the standard DVD before they reformatted to fit widescreen TVs? Followed by the... I don't understand Properly these... formatted DVD, followed by the Blu-ray disc, followed by the 4K Blu-ray disc. I'm sorry, you Gen Xers have to switch your media so much. I've, I'm making fun like, of myself because I used to have like laser three. discs. We have three. We millennials had three. It was VHS, then DVD, and now, well, I guess streaming would be considered a fourth one, but I don't really count that as like a media format that you have well, to. Well, <laughs> are you streaming standard video? Are you streaming 4, 4K? HD, HD? Are you streaming this, 4K? Because those are all different formats, This means too. nothing to me. It's fine. Okay, we haven't even mentioned who's in the movie, just to bring people back to where we are. You you, you know, it's Alexander Payne, yeah. but it's Reese Witherspoon and, and Matthew, Matthew Broderick are the leads. And Chris Klein is, um, as the sort of... Who I totally forgot about, yeah. but... Chris Klein was great well, back in the day. I don't know what he's is doing he now. Is he in things now? I don't know. I mean, so apparently this was his first film. Who it knew? sounded an awful lot from the DVD commentary like uh, Alexander Payne discovered Chris Klein. Yeah, like in... in he was a high school student in, at the school they shot at, right? Yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. In, uh, in Omaha. and he Who yeah. he met in passing when he was out there scouting i think when they were in pre-production and then he He wasn't even looking for actors he was looking for like places to shoot they were looking for (laughs) yeah i don't know if it's actually the high school they accident they ended up shooting at but that's where they yeah that's where they encountered each other turned a corner and ran into chris klein and then ended up phoning him up a couple weeks later and wanted and arranging to meet him (laughs) to play a part so this movie is one that i feel i it's I like it as much as I did. I feel very differently about it than I did. And like, I don't know if it's a Tom Perota thing or it's Alexander Payne thing. Probably both. They have this, they like to choose complicated, messy, often unpleasant characters. And like, I don't know, explore that, you know. And I think both of them do that, um, both Tom Perota and Alexander Payne. But I think, like, our two leads here, Matthew Broderick, who, like, now, like, I think when I was much younger, was a little more sympathetic to him. Oh, I was more, I remember (laughs) being more sympathetic to him. And, and like, now, knowing knowing more about the world, I'm, like, like, entirely Team Tracy. Like, all the way in in her boat. She didn't do anything. She didn't do anything wrong other than wanting to be successful. 
Um, she <laughs> pretended to. <laughs> well, she lied about the posters that she tore off the wall. Oh my god, she lied about the posters. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> It's like relatively minor. Well, the only reason that doesn't actually have that much ethical implications yeah. is because um, Tammy wanted to get kicked out yeah, of school. Yeah. We need to back up and get <laughs> yeah, a synopsis yeah, yeah. of this That's before right. we get into it. So um, Election is the story of a teacher um, who is in her, his sort of experience, he's kind of experiencing a midlife crisis. He says that his life is perfect and fine, but he's kind of like coming apart, middle age, boredom kind of thing. Um, he gets sort of mixed up with um, the sort of like overachiever girl at the school who played, who's Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon. Um, she, um, his best friend at the school, uh, who is also another teacher, sort of groomed Tracy and they had a sexual relationship. And this teacher that was uh, Mr. I forgot what Matthew Broderick's character Jim McAllister. M- Mr. McAllister's best friend gets fired for his inappropriate relationship with Tracy Flick, as he should have. And um, so he has these sort of complicated feelings about Tracy because, um, you know, he clearly his friend did something wrong, but he felt a lot of sympathy for his friend. So there's this sort of emotional back and forth with him and Tracy. I think in his mind, he thought he felt like it was consensual or something, but how can it be it when you're a minor? Con- no, she's a minor. She can't consent to but it. But he blames her for <laughs> his friend getting fired, I think. Although he also blames his friend and thinks he fucked up. Yeah. So. And so throughout the course of this, um, there's an election going on. Tracy wants to be student body president. Um, he, she's running an oppo- unopposed at the beginning Mr. McAllister convinces Chris Klein, who's sort of the rich, popular boy, um, to run against Tracy. Um, and then Chris Klein's sister uh, runs against him because um, her best friend, who she is in love with, um, starts dating her brother. Um, so there's a whole, like, that's the sort of B story is that Chris Klein's sister and her relationship and with the best friend... Um, well, they had a fling. Yeah. She was kind of like her <laughs> temporary girlfriend. Yeah, so it all centers around this election. That and um, uh, Mr. McAllister, Mr. The, sorry, Mr. McAllister's, the wife of his best friend who was fired, um, is now single. They're helping out her around the house with stuff, and, and Mr. McAllister kind of develops a crush on her, um, tries to start a relationship with um, the wife of his best friend, while also trying to impregnate his own wife. Um, so he's kind of a mess and um, uh, makes some unethical and, and terrible choices. <laughs> so can we can we describe Tracy Flick a little bit? Because I think that she's an unusual character. Like, you really need to, like, kind of, like, the kind yeah. of student that she is. Well, I think that the the point that they try to make is that she's like someone that everybody knows. Like there is that girl that is on the yearbook and on the student council and she wants to be class president and she's, you know, she does all the things. She's in all the clubs because she's trying to be successful and get a great college Trans a resume to get into college and get into the best schools. And she's relentlessly perky. Yeah. 
and in your face. And she's the one who, the only one who knows all the answers and yeah. always has her hands up and you don't want to call on her. Yeah. Jim doesn't want to call on her. Yeah. <laughs> he starts out the movie completely irritated with her. Yeah. And the whole thing is about like him trying to give her a comeuppance. I mean, part of it. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. I mean. So what is it really? You have a point you're going to make. I can no, tell from your face. Well, but I was going to say. Get, we'll get into it. But. Um, what is it about Tracy that, that makes him want to take her down? Yeah. That rubs him the wrong way. Is it just the relationship with Dave or what is it about her that, that, um, challenges and irritates him so much that he's gonna kind of pull the rug out from under her by getting um chris klein to run against her well so you mentioned the thing about point of view so we do have first person interactions with both tracy and mr McAllister as narrators during different parts of the thing also chris klein serves as a you narrator. Get, you get tammy yeah also yeah you, all the major characters have um voiceover narration and they get to be, they get to tell pieces of their story so, from their point of view. At one point, Tracy, I think, sort of breaks down from her viewpoint what she thinks Mr. McAllister's deal is. And it's I think she actually hits it on the head is that he is jealous of all the successful students who leave the classroom and go on to greater things. And he's maybe stuck in this sort of, you know, in this place where he he says everything's fine and wonderful, but really he's bored and he's uninspired and he feels like, you know, kids are, are you know, one-upping him all the time, you know? I think he identifies with his friend Dave Novotny and feels yeah. exactly the same way. Yeah. He's stuck. He never made it out of there. He's doing the same thing every day. Dave Novotny has the novel he never wrote. That yeah. He's so excited that Tracy Flick wants him to, to write. And uh, They have a band. You know, they have a garage band. They have a garage band, which is like the lamest dad garage band kind yeah. of thing ever. And um, and Matthew Broderick, uh, Mr. McAllister, talks about how, you know, great his career is as a as an, he talks about yeah it's, so the opening monologue i don't know if it's the opening monologue but one of his first monologues sounds very much like my teaching philosophy and yeah. what drew me to education and what i'm giving back it's so like putting it out there for somebody else to read presenting yourself the way you want your life to feel and be but and yet the visuals we're getting is like a really dull um montage of him walking into the class and teaching the same thing every day yeah. from the same, you know, the same shirt and the same, you know, it's like just well, relentlessly he says, dull. He says stuff like, my wife is my best friend and she's my main support. And then, so it's like, it's like a, a tension between the show and the tell. So he's saying all these things about how his wife is his best friend and his main support and their partners in this life. But then it shows them at dinner together where they're eating like, you know, like a boring meal with three sides. And, you know, she asked about his day and he's like, oh, you know, school. And that's all he says. You know, they clearly so. they have nothing to talk about. Yeah. They're sitting across <laughs> from the table for each other in silence. They can barely make any cursory conversation yeah. at all. That's one of that's interesting because that, you know, that, that makes him kind of an unreliable narrator. If you're going yeah. between the the counterpoint between what he's saying and what we're seeing. Yeah. Does, it, does the movie treat the other characters like that too? Or are they more at face value? Do Is Tracy who she presents herself to be? Tracy is, is I mean, like, that's the thing is how she, I don't think she lies to herself the way that 
that Mr. McAllister does. He's, I mean, like, through that initial monologue, he's saying, my life was great. I love teaching. Like, all of this stuff. But, like, what is... And he may actually like teaching. I don't know. But he's like, it's all I ever wanted to do is teach. And and honestly, the way that um, he gets fired from this job... In the, in the book, like, it's obvious he can't teach again the way it happens. But, like, in, in the movie, that isn't quite as clear. So, like, if he loves teaching so much, you know, why did he not return to that? Um, although I guess he does sort of in a way. But, I mean, like, I think he was trying to convince himself that, that everything was perfect. But, but that, that, that wasn't the case, you know. He was lying to himself about about his experience. Whereas I, I feel like both, you know, Chris Klein's character and and Tracy, like they're pretty much. I mean, they're kids. They're like who they are on the outside is pretty much who they are on the inside. You know, especially Chris Klein, I guess. But <laughs> but it's interesting to me that you say you're Team Tracy because my problem. My problem. I know what the issue with the movie 20 years ago when I saw it was. Yeah. It's, I feel really uncomfortable with a film where I think all of the characters are like unlikable. And so I don't Tracy know. Tracy is abrasive. And I don't know how I'm supposed to feel she, about them. She is abrasive. I mean, I will give you that. I, like if, I, I mean, like there were girls in my school like this that, that were hard to take because they... But the differences, like, she's exceptional, you know, and, like, this man is trying to keep her down because uh, she's exceptional. She might be irritating about her exceptionality, but but who says you have to be likable in order to be exceptional? I mean, a lot of exceptional people are not likable <laughs> he doesn't have enough self-awareness to know why he's keeping her down yeah he's yeah. just like she's abrasive and irritating yeah and she got my friend fired i mean but she's smart she works hard she knows what she wants those are valuable traits and things that women generally are told not to do in order to be likable so what do you make of her <laughs> The thing that we were starting to yeah. get into it about the, um, so the scene is right. It's um, it's right before the election yeah. and she's over the weekend, um, in, you know, working at school yeah, and doing campaign stuff or whatever. She's always at school. I think it's a Sunday yeah. and she sees that her election banner is, keeps falling, keeps falling down. The tape yeah. comes off the end and she gets up on a chair and tries to put it back up. And as she's doing that, she accidentally tears the whole thing down. So it's completely a wreck. Yeah. And then she has that fit of rage where she like has a complete meltdown and like trashes everybody's posters. Yeah. And then secretly, covertly drives it away to, you know, sneakily bury the evidence. And then when there's questioning about it, you know, she denies that she had anything to do with it and blames it on... Does she blame it on other on Tammy? She, I yeah, I think she does blame it on Tammy, and uh, conveniently she third, latches on the to third that. party candidate. Yes, the, the third, the Ross Perot. <laughs> yes, of, the of Ross the, of the equation, <laughs> the election. <laughs> well, okay, so like 
I have a, like, it makes so much sense. She's stressed out. She's frustrated. Like, there's this one, this, like, really popular guy between her and this thing. So she has a, a complete spaz out. Should she maybe have been honest and apologized? Probably. Is she cheating on, you know, like, whereas, like, compared to the other evil that we see presented in this by Mr. McAllister, who is cheating on his wife or trying to cheat on his wife, and out of spite is trying to deny something to someone when they've earned it. I mean, like, worked hard for it. You know, to me, like, her lie and covering up, tearing up posters compared to the evil that Mr. McAllister does just doesn't compare. And plus, she's 16. He's he's 40. She's allowed you know, to be a, uh, to be a teenager with emotions. Yeah. I mean, like, do we wish that that our heroes were always correct and always honest well, and always she, did the fact, right thing? more mature than he is because yeah. she knows who she wants to be and yeah. she has goals <laughs> and she's driven to achieve them. Yeah. So, I mean, like... I hate to, I mean, like, when I think about my own evolution of how I feel about this film, which, like, it's funny because I think Tom Perota, he does this. He takes people who are not great and tries to explore them. I mean, and even even to make you feel sympathy for them. And I do feel sympathy for Mr. McAllister. Expects to be lost and bored and all of that stuff. But you can't take people down with you and you can't blame people who are children for the actions of of an adult who should be responsible so i mean like however much sympathy he feels for his friend his friend did something wrong really wrong like ethically morally wrong he had a and sexual relationship wrong. with a minor and regardless of how she felt about it or said she felt about it she is not responsible for that. He his wrongdoing is the only wrongdoing in that situation. Of course. You know, so so like when you compare the minor evil of tearing up posters to the major evil that those two men committed and like how no, you know, I'm not comparing them. <laughs> I'm know. not saying like you should tally up uh, <laughs> what what everybody did wrong and come out with the winner. But, but I also don't like I still I don't know. I don't feel like I'm team anybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't so, like so, her. I don't yeah. find her. To be, I, I, I don't like. I, think I mean, it's such I a like great Reese Witherspoon yeah. in that performance. She's I such think a the great character performer. is fascinating, but I don't really like. I, I almost said I don't like anybody, but there are characters I like. Yeah. The characters I like, the character, one of the characters I like the most is Tammy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, what's his name? Is uh, Paul Paul Metzler? Paul's, yeah, the, Tammy the, Metzler, is... the football player who's running against uh, Tracy Flick, his sister, um, who is who who she's gay and she's working through her feelings and yeah. she has she falls in love with her best friend and that ends up being the end of their the the friend breaks it off breaks yeah. off their relationship because. They've been experimenting and yeah, kind of a had a, a fling sort of thing. Yeah. And the her friend's denial of that situation makes the friend immediately go out and start dating her brother. Yeah. But I don't know. I like that character. I think she's really Yeah, mean. Tammy is is 
is, I mean, and I think Alexander Payne said when we were watching the commentary how he's protective of her in her sort of first love he's kind of very like. very careful explore. not to make fun of her yeah, or to yeah. like criticize her in any of the, the way he depicts her and her feelings. I yeah. think he tries to let her speak for herself. Yeah. So she's she's the dreamer. She's but then, <laughs> so then the other thing is, Paul Metzler, Chris Klein, is really likable. But then you have this weird effect of then it making me feel uncomfortable that he's likable because he is a bland, white, privileged, yep. dumb. Yeah. Like it's very clear. He's very clearly portrayed as not having a brain cell in his yeah. head whatsoever. <laughs> and life is just happening to him. Yeah. And he's kind of put in this situation. He becomes kind of a pawn yeah. in a way. But but then that takes away his agency when pretty much he's set up in life to only to be the only one with agency. Yeah. I mean, he is a white male. Uh, he has a truck, a new he truck. He has a truck. They live in the <laughs> the suburbs in in a new development. Like his family has is wealthy. His dad or runs at least the concrete class. plant. I think they own the concrete plant. Um, <laughs> so, but Chris Klein is so likable in Yum. that part, and Paul is such a sweet character. Like he genuinely likes everybody in the movie. He doesn't know or understand any of the machinations going yeah. on around him. He doesn't understand that that uh, Mr. McAllister is using him yeah. to get to Tracy to make to make her fail. He doesn't understand that his girlfriend is is starts you, out using him anyway. I don't yeah. think they did enough with that character necessarily to show that she really in the book gets... she's a bigger thing and she does use him more. Okay, as as her leverage to move into public relations. Yeah, and and, and that sort of campaign thing. management. Yeah, that sort of thing. So. <laughs> She's good. There's yeah. the, the, it just yeah, I can see that it feels like there would be more in the novel about her. Well, yeah, there's just not enough time to cover it all in the so I'm sh- I like the Metzlers. Yeah. <laughs> I admire I admire Tracy a lot more in this viewing than I did before, but I just think I felt ugh about the whole thing the first time. I have so you're always this is the yeah. thing. You're always pushing my tolerance of dark comedies yeah and the point i said i was going to make about um what's the other film called the laura dern one that we did oh yeah. citizen ruth yeah so i was going to say this reminds me of citizen ruth yeah yeah not not remembering that that was also an alexander <laughs> Payne movie the one he did right before this yeah i was but like these are films that i wouldn't have been able to appreciate 20 years ago yeah i didn't see citizen ruth 20 yeah. 20, 25 years ago, because reading about it, I knew it was going to have that kind of dark feeling. So I'm a more sophisticated viewer now. (laughs) And also you're pushing my boundaries in a good way so that I'm more open minded. So I do appreciate this film. I enjoyed watching it, but I still kind of feel uneasy about everybody in it, what they're doing to each other the self-destructiveness of Mr. McAllister and not even seeing that the, the terrible choices he's making that have terrible consequences that, and then the, then it just bothers me so much. Like, I'm sorry, I'm totally rambling here. I think I did used to sympathize more with him and, and now I'm so like, I feel like he deserves just about everything he gets and that he makes terrible decisions 
and he thinks of himself as a victim when he's actually victimizing. I think he identifies with his friend. I think he's actually sexually attracted to Tracy Flick too. And so there's, so his denial of that is also feeding into his trying to take her down. I think there's a lot of aggression and rage in both of those characters, but more so in him, I think. Well, I, I always like to probe that, especially when we're talking about... So I think that, especially like within the frame of, of Me Too and, and, and more focus on like how the struggles of women as they move into, tradition, into roles traditionally held by men... But, like, I think that the way the story is told, and I think that's part of the genius of Tom Perota because he does this with other characters, too. And and Alexander Payne was able to capture this, is it's very seductive. Like, you want to sympathize with this man that's traditionally... And, like, and, and even as he's, like, sort of eschewing the sort of traditional, like, he, he like, I want to teach... I mean, it's still the same sort of patriarchal, like, I want to shape young minds kind of thing, but you're, he's even sort of eschewing that traditional sort of tough man thing. So that's kind of seductive. You think he's a sensitive guy. You think he's a nice guy. And so then you feel like you get resentful of how seductive that is, how easy it is to fall into that. And then at the same time, I think, at least for me, that knowing that sort of competition that that because there aren't very many roles for women that there's this competition so some women who are successful sort of develop this sort of unpleasant unlikable exterior in order to achieve their goals because that's what you have to do in our society and like and then they get blamed for doing that you know, and to me, like, I feel like Tracy is just trying to do, like, she even, she's, like, rejecting her soft side, like, actively. So that's the part in her, her unreliable narrativeness that, that's the part where she's lying to herself because she's saying that she's more aware and more control of her emotions than she actually is. So that scene where she's with Dave Novato at the pizza restaurant and he's, talking to her and like she's in her voiceover says you know you might think because I didn't grow up with a dad that I'm like susceptible to those sorts of things but then the what what Reese is doing with her face is just so vulnerable and so ready for someone to support her because he's telling her I see you yeah you're the you're the you have the most possibility of any of the students I've ever taught before, you're going to go someplace. You're going to, he's telling, like, he's really and you can, telling her, you can I see, see you. on you, her face how much that means to her. And like, even like when it gets into where they're like, just like the beginning of their sexual relationship, which they show, um, like, like she says, like what I miss most about Miss with about Mr. Novato is our talks. So, I mean, like... But they say that over a shot of them going into the bedroom. Yeah, which, I mean, like, to me means, like, in order to keep that part that was so important to her, she had to provide what Dave was was essentially grooming her for. I mean, like, what he was doing was grooming her, you know? Here's the thing. (laughs) This still makes me angry. Yeah. I have two teenage daughters. Yeah. I have a daughter about Tracy's age. 
what the fuck is Alexander Payne doing by playing the Dave Novotny thing as comedy? Like, he is grooming and taking advantage of this girl. And then there's this moment where he takes her back to his place. And they're like, you know... I don't know if they're already sleeping together or if it's the first time. I think it's the first I time. I think that's one played at the, at the first so time. So he puts on that cheesy three times a lady. Is that what it is? Yeah, once, twice, three times a lady. Yeah. And <laughs> and it's clearly supposed to make us laugh. And you laughed. And yeah. then I, was, I remember sitting there like feeling really angry. I was yeah. like, why is this being played for? I couldn't. As a father of a teenage <laughs> daughter who I don't want in that situation. Yeah. Like... I didn't understand that choice to play that scene as look how ridiculous this guy is. This is safe for us to laugh at because look at what a ridiculous comical person he is by putting on this shitty cheesy music and thinking he's such hot stuff. Yeah. You know, while he's seducing a 16 year old girl. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it's a little bit of a, like a, you know, the horror of the situation. It's like a juxtaposition thing. Like, this is a horrible situation. I, I don't... I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's no way to excuse it, but I don't think there's a way to tell the story without it. You know, it has to be... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I just feel like, are you doing too many things if you have to show what's happening between them, but you also have to make it a comedic scene, a make, like... Showing how ridiculous Dave Novotny is. I don't know. I don't yeah. get. I don't. There's a level of irony well, and, and pessimism this... and something nihilistic about it, or something yeah. about the way that's depicted. That still kind of bugs me. That I'm. Yeah. That I'm yeah. trying to figure out that. And so that happened really early on, and the and the awful conversation where he's talking about Tracy to. Yeah. To, uh, you know, saying really vulgar things about yeah. her, like, which is shocking. And that's played for shock value, yeah, I think, because you cut right into that conversation. Um, I think that switched me off the first time I saw it, and it almost switched me off this well, time. Well, that's, and see, that's the first evil action that Mr. <clears throat> McAllister does, is what he doesn't do, what his moral and ethical and legal responsibility as a teacher, he's a reporter, he's supposed to report that. Yeah, he, that's sure. his first action is that he refuses. He blames Tracy for it, which is like a thing. Well, that is a big time, <laughs> you thing. know, that is the story of our civilization. Yeah. So, I mean, like McAllister is like it's 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 irritating that he's likable because he is morally, ethically, legally wrong throughout the whole movie, you know, and like. Can we blame Tracy for being seduced by someone who's finally paying attention to her? No, we can't. No, you cannot. You know, I mean, I feel like she had to develop that tough exterior in order to exist in this. And and, and like she has more than just um, just the fact that she's a, a woman looking to move into these male dominant areas. But she also has her her mom. She has no father. Her mom is a legal assistant, um, a paralegal. Um, they don't make much money. Every dollar they spend is sent, you know, spent on trying to move Tracy up in the world. Um, whereas, you know, her opponent 
Chris Klein in this case is the rich kid in town that has everything, you know. So there's this whole and then like, there's class that one thing. moment in the parking lot where you see yeah. him like hanging out by his truck with his friends, mm-hmm. and you see Tracy in as just another face on the school bus, yeah, glaring like, and, at him. And that's a moment of the class difference, yeah. That maybe there could have been a little more of because I I don't even know that I got that the first time I saw it. Well, it's funny because it's such a small town, like. So where I grew up is probably a lot like Omaha. So there were the older houses, the older, smaller houses that people lived in, you know, because like when you live in a smaller town, like even the people who, you know, don't make a lot of money that can afford to buy a house. Housing is affordable in those places. So like, you know, and then the rich kids live in the big houses in the new development on the outside of town. That's 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 how my town was. That's how Lubbock is. You know, that's so like it's funny when they I mean, like when they show those houses, those are exactly what the developments in Lubbock look like. Exactly. Even the small development in my hometown looks mm-hmm. like that with all the brick houses and compared to our, you know, you know, siding sided houses in the in the in the less expensive part in the less new and expensive parts of town. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So maybe what Alexander Payne is giving us with that treatment of that scene and Dave Novotny is it, is it just maybe he's giving us a comparison between this guy and Tracy in a certain way to be like, look at this, yeah, this ridiculous man man yeah this small ridiculous man taking advantage of her who is like so much better than him yeah i don't know maybe there's something there i'm, yeah. try- I'm still trying to reconcile <laughs> <laughs> well i mean he- other than like it happened like that's the thing is it happens a lot in our society like more than we want to know i mean like i knew i mean like i knew a kid who as soon as she graduated, started dating our, our speech teacher. Like, yeah, I mean, technically they waited long enough, but, or at least they were not dating publicly, you know, but this happens a lot. And it, you know, and the reason it happens a lot is because people know and they don't say anything, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, in a way, the casting of Matthew Broderick is probably really amazing and and perfect because I think that he was always a likable character until you got to this point. So here you have... Okay, I know you're irritated by Ferris Bueller's Day Off and don't like that movie, but I liked that movie and... I thought he was likable at the time. Now I think he's irritating as fuck in that movie. He's smarmy as shit. Yeah. Yes. But but he was funny and yeah. he he was he was gaming the system in a way. Yeah. And so if you were a teenager and you were seeing that, it was fun to see somebody gaming the system like that. I but, I'm I'm like a fan of the Cameron's universe theory of uh, <laughs> a Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> that it's all in his mind. Yeah, that's all in his mind. There's a whole thing. I. I I haven't read about I it. I think you've mentioned years. it before. I need to look into that. You're going to blow my mind. We're not even talking about Cameron. But I, my point is that Matthew, he chose an actor for Mr. McAllister who is boyish and has was always likable characters, was usually comed- in comedy roles yeah. or else a sympathetic 
main character or here like i'm thinking of him when he's like 16 and he's in war games yeah. right he's 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 the little everyday every man hero yeah every boy and um and you now you have him with so much more nuance and making such awful choices yeah. and and being so small-minded and uh like we haven't mentioned like that i mean you alluded to it i think but he um, buries a couple of votes in the election when yeah. Tracy wins the election against by Paul one by one vote because yeah. Paul didn't think it would be honorable to vote for, for himself. himself. Yeah. So he for, voted for Tracy. She wins the count. Yeah. And, you know, he has his student assistants who, who do the first count and then he does the backup count. And then he palms and throws away two votes just so she'll lose. Yep. That's awful. <laughs> it is. It is. And actually, that's a real thing, too. I, I read in that that this was partly, I think the Tom Parada story yeah. was partly based on a real case in 1982 where a high school in, where was it, Wisconsin, I think? Yeah. Um, d- like, dumped some of the votes for the homecoming queen who won, who was a pregnant teen. Yeah. And she won the election, and they falsified it and threw away the votes and they got caught and so that was one of the inspirations for this movie (laughs) he can't even let her win that he's so determined to like knock her down a peg yeah and i think you're yeah you're right like she's exceptional and that's threatening to him because he's nothing that special yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I was just, it just occurred to me as you're talking, but like, and like sort of a sub thing that's going on with him is his wife w- wants to have a baby. And so they've, you know, any of their, their sexual interactions are all sort of meant to, you know, result in a child. So I think that like part of it is he's feeling like trapped by this, you know, because like once you have that child, then this is like your life, you know, Mr. McAllister. So I think that there's some amount of that that's sort of the symbol of 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 that sort of hanging over his head and this being, you know, teaching legislative, executive, judicial branch for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about his relationship with Linda Novotny, his friend's... Yeah. His friend Dave's wife, the one who... You know, his friend Dave is the one who loses a job because of his relationship with Tracy. He leaves behind his wife and Mr. McAllister becomes like her best friend and helper. Like handyman sort of thing. Let's talk about that because that's also disturbing. Well, I mean, in, in a sense, I think because of his boredom, he's looking for a way to blow up his life. And and like, I mean, like he does it pretty spectacularly, but I think like... One of the easiest ways to blow off your life is to have a, you know, have an affair. Well, is he you know? really that? Is he really helpful? Does it ever start out with him being helpful, or is he grooming her the whole time? Because it just seems like he was taking advantage of her. Yeah. The time they were spending together it seemed like he was guiding it towards. That. Yeah, yeah. He's I, I not mean, just like the... she's she's vulnerable. You know, she's alone all the time. You know. So I think, yeah, he did sort of take advantage of of, of that. That's another one yeah. that you have to really look at your reaction to. Because, yeah. I mean, when... You could say she makes the first move because she kisses him in 
that morning. Like she, yeah. But he's been. I think he's, he's been, been guiding it, it towards. He that. made the remark yeah. about when they passed the hotel mm. that said, "Hey, maybe we should get a room there sometime." And then she shuts she's down. Like, and she's not like, funny. "That's not funny at all." Yeah. But then a few days later, or whenever I don't know how much time has passed, he's over there first thing in the morning, and a routine interaction with him helping. I've, I don't even remember why he's there. He's uh, unclogging her drain. <laughs> okay, so there are things like that <laughs> yes. that are hilarious. <laughs> Because he was also mowing her lawn at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's some funny visual puns yeah. going on. Well, I think Alexander Payne said that we listened to some of the commentary, but that like every time he's over at Linda's house, they try to um, like sort of play up the sort. So she has a lot of bright colors, like this sort of like f- fecundity is the word that he uses, but this sort of like the sort of the the garden of 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 earthly delights or something like that like and i noticed that like on the very last time he goes over there when he's trying to find her he like goes in the backyard and like the backyard has these like fake looking trees with like big apples hanging from them and it's (laughs) it's like the garden of eden or something like that that he's trying or yeah the garden of earthly delights i suppose that you know and then he gets and you notice, like, bees flying around, and he immediately gets stung in the eye with the bee. Oh, yeah, so, so, so the that's... last act of the movie plays out with a horrible allergic reaction and a huge swollen eye as he's, yeah. like, faking the election. But what I wanted to say about, is her name Linda? Yeah, Linda. Linda. Nobody. Is she makes the first overt move in terms of, like, she kisses him that yeah. morning, and then she's the one who suggests, I think you should, you should make, you should book that room, let's meet after school, yeah. and they make the plan at her suggestion. Yeah. And then you have that whole ridiculous, all of his preparations, right? <laughs> like he gives his class a pop quiz and you have this hilarious... He has 48 minutes to... <laughs> amazing scene where he's supposed to have only 48 minutes to run out of the classroom and go get the hotel ready. And, and getting it ready is just so pathetic. Like Russell Stouffer chocolates yeah. and like... <laughs> A terrible bottle drugstore of roses. drugstore champagne or something Cook's, like that. Cook's champagne. <laughs> and, and then gets back Ice to Ice in the sink is the other thing that's pretty funny. <laughs> and then she never shows, yeah. right? And when he finally goes home, he op- it's a great reveal. Yeah. Is he opens a door and Linda and his wife and Linda and um, Linda has a child. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, she's a single mom now is there in the room too. Anyway, they're draped on I mean they're like in they're in tears. Yeah. And the the glare that they give him and I just remember I think I was like what the fuck? I was like <laughs> why did she do that to yeah. him? And so that was a moment where I felt like he was vic- like not victimized, but I was like that's not fair. I did have a moment yeah. of like that's not fair. She said that's what she wanted. But then I'm like but he did take advantage of somebody vulnerable and he did kind of mm-hmm. groom her yeah. that she was certainly not like the seductive single no woman looking to make time with the first guy who comes along not at all he befriended her and became a vital person in her life and one of the only people she was interacting with well and and you have to think like the circumstances of the end of their marriage which is that she f- her husband got fired for sleeping with a student. And so, like, that can't feel good to her as a woman who just had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for her husband to be sleeping with one of her students, his students. Um, 
So, I mean, like, maybe that in particular was like, here's a man who's attracted to me and it feels good to flirt and for someone to be attracted to me. But she couldn't go through with that with her best friend, you know, with her best friend's husband, you know, and, and, and like his. So she. Yeah. Does the right thing. She shuts it down and then she. Tells her friend. She admits what happened. Yeah. And the thing is, is we don't know what's going on. We don't get to see Linda's viewpoint or Diana's viewpoint. We never do. So, I mean, like, all of it is told through Mr. McAllister's viewpoint. So we don't really, you know, know what motivated Linda, you know. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That she's just had a baby. Her husband cheated on her with the student. She thinks she's not attractive. She thinks... Yeah. and. You know, there's that vacancy in her emotional life, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. So, I want to make a weird, maybe a weird comparison. So, we actually had just, I don't remember if it was the same day or the next, or the, so we watched Rashomon. Okay. I like the day I, before we watched election or the same day. I can't you remember. You can't really appreciate election until you've seen Rashomon. Exactly. Well, so... So I really got a lot of... I was trying to make these comparisons between the characters, and I don't think there is comparisons to be made. Well, like, Matthew it, Broderick is the same. Uh, yeah, I was, no, I was trying to... The, like, who is the priest in no, this? No, Chris Klein, Yes, maybe? Alexander Payne has seen Rashomon. <laughs> no, I don't think this is... A... So who's the bandit? No. Um, I just think that that sort of... Rashomon just does such a beautiful job of of looking at those different perspectives and seeing how they see the same circumstances. And I think election sort of draws on that a little bit, you know, the sort of, um, and like from this movie, I think more than many of his other films, you can see his like film school stuff coming in. There's like all these quotes to like, um, like 60s love films and, um, Italian, uh, westerns and like so to me there it's drawing on a lot of the sort of film school history so it wouldn't be surprised if this sort of viewpoint perspective because like Rashomon to me like I, I like just saw it for the first time and like was fascinated by that sort of how a different person's viewpoint can can change how how like what people are telling themselves about what happened and and how that relates to what actually happened and whether you could actually ever find out what well, actually and happened. Then going to like, we were listening to some of the commentary <laughs> features like Robert Altman says, yeah. has some really perceptive things that he says about it. Um, where he's like, it's one of the first movies that he saw where you realize that the whole thing of the fi- film show you showing you what happened and you taking it at face value is like, an, is yeah, is completely suspect. Well, even the outside viewer can't give you an honest view because he's got his own agenda. You know, our last person who's the witness who's supposed to give us what actually happened, even he has, like, his finger on the scale. You so know? if you haven't seen Rashomon, <laughs> it's the 1954 Japanese film by Akira Kurosawa, and it tells four different versions of a rape and murder that takes mm. place in 16th century Japan. All we know for sure is that there's a samurai traveling with his wife, 
mm-hmm. and a bandit who accosts him on the road. The wife is raped. The husband is ends murdered. Up dead. Yeah. Ends up dead. And you have four people telling the story. One of them is the ghost of the husband. That's I know. I don't want to husband. get too off track <laughs> yeah. on this. But the point of it being that each story of what happened is completely different based yeah. upon the viewpoint. And so, but we're so trained as a Western viewer or, you know, the way we deal with narrative and with film narrative is that we're, you almost are, your, your, your first instinct is to take it like a detective film where you're trying to figure out which is the right one. Yeah. When the whole point is we can never know what the right one is. It might be one of these. It might be none of these. And so I guess you get some of that in election. Yeah, I feel like we don't ever get... Because, I mean, like, the first of all, for us to really figure out what happened, the characters would have to be honest with themselves, which they aren't, except for maybe Chris Klein. Um, <laughs> except for maybe Paul Metzler. I think everybody else is kind of... Well, Tracy their, comes pretty close. Yeah. There's just... She's she not... Just, she doesn't know all of her emotional needs yeah, because she's so driven to achieve. Yeah. Like dry, to she's achieve. putting that aside, but yeah. she's lying to herself about, about whether she feels things or how deeply she feels things, yeah. you know, or how, how those things. And then when she, when you suppress that completely, yeah. then you have, then the, the moment of rage completely makes sense because yeah. there's this whole side of herself that she's suppressing. Yeah. Where, you know, her world is I can make a to-do list and I can do it 15 times better than everybody else. I can do the extra thing. I can give it 150%. I can be there at 7 in the morning with my table all set out to get signatures hours I, before anybody else is even thinking about it. I can make 15,000 cupcakes with my mom the night before. Like everything her in yeah. her life is like that. And there's not room to feel yeah. anything so when it comes up, it's, it's, you have... It's mostly resentment is you what have, she has. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that accounts more for the rage moment, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, like, in, in many cases, her, her rage is not a rage of entitlement. It's a rage of having worked hard in, and, and other people not having to work hard to get the same things, you know, which is, in, in a sense, a more justified rage than, you know... <laughs> Then just, just, yeah. So, you know, we have this show where we watch something together, you know, an important movie, and then we talk about it. And I feel like talking about this movie in particular is actually a crucial part of the experience. Yeah. Like, I like this movie much more talking mm-hmm. about it over the past hour yeah. than kind of walking away from it feeling kind of weird about it. Yeah. Like I did 20 <laughs> years ago. Well, so I I have a different... Because I, I do enjoy dark comedy. I think, actually, this came up briefly. We were talking about Sarah Silverman, who, like, sometimes I feel like her comedy, which is dark and and at times very inappropriate, it's a little too over the top for me. But I do have a pretty... I mean, I do have a line... <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, But I have... So, like, there's things that even if I didn't get too deep into the meaning of, that I just enjoy because they deal with breaking taboos and and pushing boundaries and and laughing about things that, you know, 
most people wouldn't think are funny. But, but to me, this film offers so much more than that. And I think maybe when I was younger, I just was focusing on the laugh bits. But to me, I think it's a lot more, it's a more complicated story than, than I gave it credit for initially. And that's why I have more of an appreciation of it. Yeah. Because I don't think I got much farther than the surface before. Yeah. And if the surface is, you have this abrasive, irritating as fuck, overachieving student, which is yeah. how I took her. And you have this kind of mediocre eh, teacher who all this bad stuff happens to yeah. poor Matthew Broderick, which is probably how I experienced somewhat how yeah. I experienced it. But I'm sure I was also confused. Like, wait a minute, who am I supposed to like in this? Yeah. Movie? I don't think even, you know, being in my uh, viewer in my twenties and seeing as many films as I had and going to film school that I still could really deal with like not know, not having telegraphed, like, how are you supposed to feel about characters? Yeah. And Alexander Payne does not do that. Yeah. I don't think. No, he's he's real. His characters tend to have some genuine. That's the thing I like so much is that that he's able to make people who make bad choices likable or well, and you know, as you said, that also is a Tom Parada thing. Yeah, yeah. Because little children. Yeah. I don't remember. I know I saw the film. I liked the book. I thought the film was okay, and I don't. I've only seen it once, so I don't remember how faithful it was. But, um, yeah, you've got characters who think things that are, that make you feel really uncomfortable and do things that, and make terrible choices. But, like, that's what people are. Yeah. Flawed. Oh yeah. People. This. Who have these are like real usually, people. They're you know, real people. Their choices don't always make sense. I mean, there's a reason we don't broadcast everything we yeah. think. Yeah. And there's a reason that you filter what you do. Yeah. You know, but you're getting an unfiltered looking at real people. Yeah. And that's how close the viewpoint is. And that also has taken me time to get used to because yeah. I would have thought that a movie like Election or Little Children is almost like... Um, from a godlike perspective of putting these of of laughing at ridiculous humanity doing yeah. terrible things to each other, you know, but I don't feel like it's that kind no. of a viewpoint in election. So another novelist I mean, who I mean, and novelist and 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 whose novels have been made into films, Ian McEwen also is really good at this at like really focusing in and you get like a really good sort of psychological analysis of your characters and you get to hear their terrible small awful thoughts that they're having and their you know compulsions that they can't stop themselves from doing and their knowledge that they're doing something wrong but they do it anyway and like it's it's hard to read those but I think it's so fascinating because it's it's and like I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's weird to make a comparison between election and atonement, but I think that there is, like, at least in the from the viewpoint thing, I think there's a lot going on. Bryony is Tracy Flick. No. Is that <laughs> sort of, you know, in a way, you know, I don't know, but um, and that there's some characters that we don't get to know what they're thinking; they just are the ones that are, you know, get to feel the after effects of... I think that we're so used to being spoon-fed how to feel about your protagonists. Mm -hmm. 
and we're not I think the seventies did a did more with getting us to um identify with antiheroes. Yeah. And so sometimes now I don't think movies and TV have dumbed down by any chance. I just think that but I just think that we're used to being told how to feel about people. And so yeah. when you have a film or a show that's more challenging, that presents you real people with real flaws who do terrible things to each other, and you yeah. can't say, he's the good guy, she's the baddie, he's yeah. the baddie, she's the good... Like, you know, there's... it. It's hard to learn to speak that language. Well, yeah, I think that... It's it's really subtle, but, like, I mean, all of us are kind of, like, wandering around, like, I mean, like, not to use a Miley Cyrus term, I was just going to, like, wrecking balls. You know, we're completely unaware of the harm that we're doing, except when we are, you know. And so sometimes our choices that hurt people are conscious, and sometimes they're unconscious. And sometimes we're aware, but we're lying to ourselves about them. You know, there's all sorts of... <laughs> I feel like... McAllister, the Matthew Broderick yeah. character, isn't aware of what he's doing. I mean, yeah. like, I don't, like, I think he would be able to justify a lot oh, of yeah. he would what tell, he does. I mean, like, you could hear, like, he, he just. He has a self-righteousness. Yeah. And. Like the world owes him something. Like the world owes him something. <laughs> and. Because he gave up his life please, to educate this children. This girl is really yeah. awful and irritating. Yeah. And she just needs a lesson. You know, because she's not going to have everything handed to her. Well, she isn't no. expecting anyone to hand anything to her. She's working her ass off <laughs> to get anything. Well, so, and then they have that last sort of scene at the end where he's she see he sees her when he's on a trip to Washington. She's working for us like a representative for from Iowa, I guess not Iowa, Nebraska. Sorry, one of the Middle Western ones. And he's an educational docent, basically. Yeah, a, at like uh, some museum National in New History York. National History Museum or something. And he works in New York, so it's whatever. Natural History Museum, natural I history, think is yeah. what it is. Um, I said he, national, but I meant yeah. natural. It sounds similar. <laughs> yes. Um, and so he like sees her getting into a limo with... I mean, and, and she's clearly like an assistant or a... She's an intern or intern something turns. for a, a congressman. So he can't stop himself. He throws his Pepsi, which is like a thing. Um, she uses Coca-Cola as an example. And then throughout another, the rest of the movie, he's drinking Pepsi. That's another one of his yeah. rebellions is <laughs> Pepsi because she likes Coke. Um, he throws his uh, Pepsi drink at, at the retreating uh, limo and uh, then runs away cowardly into the... And then is it the last scene of the movie where you have him teaching a group of children in the museum and yeah. he asks a question just like he would have done in yeah. his classroom and the only person who knows the answer is another like... Like, yeah, girl. A, a girl raising her hand. Yeah. And he's reacting to her just as if she's Tracy Flick and he's not going to call on her. And you end the film without him calling on her. So I, I just want to say that for about... Until I was about twelve, I was that girl. You know, I was like the teacher's pet, yeah. and I they asked me to take role, and I knew the answer to all the questions, and I always did my homework. I mean, I didn't stay that way, 
And I, I don't know why I didn't stay that way. I just didn't. <laughs> but I, I think emotionally, I, I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the emotional toughness to do that forever. I needed to, for whatever reason, blend in more. Yeah. And become more likable. And, and you know, so in, in a sense, I kind of like envy or admire Tracy's toughness that she's able to keep that tough skin and do the things that she needs to do in order to be successful. Yeah. Cause I, I mean like I didn't have that work ethic or that strength of character even to, to, to do that, you know? Um, Well, (laughs) it's not a deficiency. It's you grew as a person where you realize that's not the most important thing to me anymore. Yeah. I have social and emotional needs and other things that I want out of life than being the best in the class. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess over time, I just like there's so much interesting going on when you're not trying to be the top at everything. And then even just realizing that you can't be, you know, you can do well, but you can't always be the top at everything. So I don't know. Um but but part of me always like has a lot of sympathy for that that character you know and 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 how lonely you know that that would be yeah <laughs> we had to talk about this for an hour before yeah. you admitted that you used to be Tracy yeah it's probably actually probably later than twelve I, I, that's fine yes I I can't remember the probably sometime in junior high was when I just started so, to. <laughs> When we change in junior high. <laughs> we need to wrap this up in a yeah. minute, but um, I just want to just say how phenomenal Reese Witherspoon is this movie. She's I don't so think we good. really gave her her props or so anything. So I, I like wrote down like her, I mean, I don't think that's her accent. I think, I don't know where she's from in the world. I thought she was from Texas, is she not? Uh, maybe. But she has this, she puts on, it does sound like a Midwestern accent. Mm-hmm. It has this very, like, she has very specific speech rhythms. It's very precise. It's so good. And then, the, like, to know her from Legally Blonde, where she plays something completely different, she's just such a phenomenal actress. Face. I know. <laughs> so she has a nostril flaring she yeah. does when she's outraged <laughs> and, a, and a way that she sets her jaw. Yeah. You can read everything in this girl's face. Yeah. She's so good. You can read conflict in her face between what she says and what she's feeling. Um, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think about, like, the last thing we saw her in, which was Big Little Lies. Yeah. Um, where she's also very good, too, playing this conflicted, like, entirely different char- kind of character. Although actually similar in a way, you know, the sort of per- perfect mom kind of yeah. thing, you know. She's playing her mom. Tracy (laughs) grown up. I was trying to see if there were any other, like. Well, I have to give a shout out to, you mentioned uh, um, Alexander Payne throwing in all the film school (laughs) tricks and and sort of all the, I just so much love the way he shoots um, Tammy's uh, crush (laughs) flashbacks. She has, she has like, two. she has two I'm in love montages with her girlfriends. Lisa is the first one. That are shot like yeah. these freeform, they're shot on 16 millimeter. Yeah. And they look like 
films shot in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, they're, are they in black and white? No, they're just um, they're more just muted colors. Muted yeah. and grainy. Yeah. And have this, they're like French New Wave films. Yeah. <laughs> like, by way of, like, actually they're like, like he, he mentions on the, yeah. the DVD combinator. They're like um, student films that would have been made in the 60s, yeah. but were students trying to make French New Wave films. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what it comes across. <laughs> Not like the legit, like the genuine yeah. thing, but somebody doing a number on it, yeah. quoting it. It's so good and it makes me so happy. Like it like genuinely it's, is such, so beautiful. You're so, I mean like, yeah, you're so happy when Tammy gets exactly what she wants is... By admitting to to tearing down the posters, which she did not do, she gets um, expelled from school and her parents send her to an all-girls Catholic school um, where she meets her new, her yeah. new uh, person um, and gets to play soccer. <laughs> so did you have any other observations or notes that you scribbled down you want to mention? Uh... Not really. I think I got most of it. Speech structure. I mean, I guess the only thing I didn't really mention is that, like, in the sort of, like, the movie's called Election. We barely talk about the election. Um, but there is sort of a big scene where um, the the candidates make their speeches. So, oh, yeah. So um, Tracy goes first, and she gives this very, like, you know, if you've ever watched a <laughs> a politician speak, you know, like I just think of of well, particularly Bill Clinton, but Joe Biden does this a little bit too. But the like, I talked to this person who said this, and I talked to this person who said this, and it's such like a politician, that, like folksy, like I yeah. talk to the people in the street, yeah, kind of sort thing. of thing. So that's her speech, and then. Chris Klein stands up and he reads his entire speech from... In a monotone without any inflection. No, no and he doesn't stop. He just reads it, like, like, like fast. Without commas or periods <laughs> or anything. Off of his notebook No paper. eye contact with anybody, just staring at the paper. And then Tammy gets up and she's like, elections are stupid and, you know, I'm not going to do anything if I become president. And, like, of course, that's the thing. Tammy, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that's the thing that, that like gets all the students excited, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is all bullshit. And I don't, and let, if, if I'm elected, then I'm going to shut down SGA forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably the best uh, part of the whole election thing, you know? So, <laughs> well, it, it was clear that we needed to talk about this movie on the podcast for a while. Oh, and uh, the principal, yeah, he's great. The The actor who plays the principal is just, like, the best principal. Like, he's just, he's just like, a principal at a... At a We've at all a, had that at principal at, at some point, yeah. yeah. Um, he just reminds me of the ones who used to be coaches. Anyway. Probably was. He gives out a good speech during the speeches, too. You know, doesn't make any sense, but... As all good principals <laughs> yes. uh, do. All right. Well, I think uh, we have... We've unpacked this election. Yeah. And good choice. Thank you. Thanks for making me watch it again. Yeah. It was good. I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the movie again. And I kind of want to see it again now. Yeah. We have time to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's right before Christmas. We just went into stage five precautions yeah. in Austin. Can't even go to Walgreens now. And so if you can and you're able to stay home and watch movies. Yeah. <laughs> 
listen to our <laughs> podcast. No, I don't care if you listen to our <laughs> podcast. That'd be great if you do. But let's all try and uh, stay safe and not do anything we don't need to do. Yep. All right. We'll be back soon. Yes. With another show. And it's my choice again. Rashomon? No. We already watched Rashomon. I know, but we didn't talk about it. That's true. We started. We snuck it in today. Okay, bye. Bye.